meliorism. This world is going to get better. I feel the beat of feet hit the street as the masses march through the cities. I hear their voices raised high. They will not admit defeat. You can crush, scare and beat us back so that we are beyond repair. But we are many and you are few. You do the math. It's only a matter of time before the masses defeat you. That is why we will still throw parties to revel in rhythm and keep our love flowing, our creative streaks driven. These tendencies are our mind's freedoms, tribal instinct of meliorism. I choose the road. Hi, and welcome back to I Choose the Road podcast. I have had a bit of a break. I didn't know I was going to, but things got a little bit busy over the summer and it turns out it's actually quite hard to sit inside making a podcast while it's really sunny and lush outside. Really, this just means we either have glorious weather or if we don't, we have more episodes of I Choose the Road to listen to. So I see it as a win-win situation. And we do have some interesting episodes planned coming up for autumn. So, in the last episode, I said that we have coming up an interview with Jelly and Soma, two poets and authors of the beautiful book, Thoughts of Freedom. First of all, though, in the NFATS episode, the last one before the summer, Tarina mentioned that there have been some new laws made in Portugal which severely restrict travellers and vehicle dwellers in where and how long they can stop. After hearing it, a friend of mine, a British traveller living in Portugal, contacted me to give me a more detailed report of what's happening there. Here's Emily. So we've been living in Portugal um, for nearly a year. We left England last autumn, just before they were about to do a big lockdown again. It seemed like a good time to get out. We've been living on a farm in our truck for the last eight years in Devon. And it had been great, but it just, uh, we needed something new and it just didn't feel like there were any options for us in England anymore with the truck. So I decided to move us out to Portugal. We've spent loads of time here in the past in trucks and vans and stuff. We've spent most of the year on a friend's piece of land during the kind of height of lockdown, but decided to take a road trip this summer and just to see what things would be like. I was a little bit hesitant because in January they passed a law in Portugal making it illegal to park a vehicle overnight and to sleep in your vehicle, which was one of the reasons why I've sat still all year so far. But I have to say that once we left the Algarve, where I think things are a lot stricter, we've had no problem at all travelling around in our lorry. It's been absolutely great. We've parked on beaches, we've parked by lakes. Everywhere we've parked, we've had positive responses from the people around from the local community and we haven't had any problems from the police which is amazing and to make things even better last month they actually repealed the law because they lots of people felt that it was unlawful in the portuguese constitution it states that they must support a nomadic way of life and therefore the new law wasn't doing that so it's now been changed so that you are allowed to park for 48 hours in each you, each council, um, which is a step in the right direction. It's not enough, but it at least shows that things are being done. 
So it's been a really positive experience and it's really been a really positive year and I just hope that that kind of positivity is reflected also in England where I know it's a really troubling time for, tra tra troubling time for travellers at the moment. Wow, that is good to hear. Thanks so much, Emily. It's really good to know what's going on in other countries. And it's interesting that the protection of nomadic rights is enshrined in Portuguese law. I will always welcome folk getting in touch with knowledge and information about traveller rights and issues. If you have an experience or some information to share, or if there's something you feel we should be covering in the podcast, then do get in touch, either by email, road at yahoo.com, through the Facebook page, which is I Choose the Road podcast, or via Instagram message. And without further ado, let's hear that interview with Jelly and Soma I've been promising you, and some more of their beautiful poetry. So, there's this lovely book called Thoughts of Freedom by two wonderful women called Jelly and Soma, who I'm meeting today for the first time. Hello. To have a little chat about the book. <laughs> hi, Soma. Hi, Jelly. Hello. Thanks so much for talking to me today. Um, your book is absolutely lush. I really love your words and I also really love all these pictures of you guys as kids and I like all these old school pictures of old school vehicles and hanging around on site. It's just such a lovely thing. So you guys grew up as new travellers in the 90s. Yep, so we were both born in 1989. My mum always is the same year as DIY. <laughs> so, um, and both our parents were friends with the people that started that sound system and many others. And so when we were born, it was all starting to really move into the 90s movement of the free party scene. I was at Castle Morton. Yeah. Yeah, Jelly was as well. So, and we, we were... Were you camped with DIY and smokescreen? I'm not was sure. I was too sure. too young to remember. Yeah. It's only like two, two or three. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm <laughs> quite proud that I was there though, because it's like a legendary moment in the rave scene of the yeah, last like quite... 30 years. So, it's quite cool that we were there, even if we're too young to remember it. I yeah, a seminal I... moment, huh? <clears throat> yeah, it's a proud thing to be part mm. of that that was a big moment unfortunately obviously a lot of horrible stuff after that so were your parents travelers when you were born or did they become travelers as a result of being part of DIY oh uh, yeah so I think my mum went on the road probably yeah around 87 she would have been 17 and I think she just she'd gone to art college I think in Plymouth and had had enough of her family basically and wanted something different and then just ended up I don't know just catching up with some people who were traveling and going on the road with them basically and then met my dad and my dad I guess had done a similar thing he'd gone to Exeter uni and dropped out because he thought it was full of people he didn't get on with and yeah I guess they both must have just separately found that traveling community sort of pass, literally just passing by and joined in um, and we're just both looking for something different from suburban family life really I think then I was born in 89 when my mum was yeah almost like 1920 and then I guess from that point my parents didn't stay together long but I've always had a relationship with my dad as well he's always 
come to see me wherever I've been in the country and stuff like that. Did he stay living on the road? No, he moved into school in Bristol and Sussex Place mm-hmm. and lived there for quite a long time. And then he found a spiritual pathway. He went to India and found a guru. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, and he's been doing that ever since he was about 23 or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. Born and Bred poem is my poem. The bus, the blue bus is my bus. And oh. that's my mum on the left and my dad on the right with me as a baby. And then if you go to Jelly's poem, Freedom is in the Eye of the Beholder. Mm-hmm. So, um, we've got Jelly as a little toddler there. And then Jelly and her mum looking yeah. out of the caravan oh, door. Okay. Is it caravan? Yeah. yeah, I can see there the likeness. Yeah, that's um, that's that's us when we were little. And what about the cop, the little kids playing with Yeah, that's, that's me. that you? I yeah. thought that, that one, and that, I love this and picture. And that one, so that's up on Rodborough Common in Stroud, and I've been parked there as an adult in that same spot for months on end as well. Just for the listeners, this is the photo that's on the page that, of the poem, Shit, It's the Police. And it's a poem of a load of people in the snow chatting with the coppers mm-hmm. and a little kid in the foreground playing with... It's my mum's camera, I think. camera. Shit, it's the police. From quite a young age, when I heard sirens, I thought, shit, it's the police. And that fear is still instilled in me, even when I'm all legal and I've got no reason to be. I guess it's from back in the day when they used to move us from pillar to post. But what they didn't know is that as a kid, moving on in the night is what I loved the most. Waking up in the morning in new places, still feeling safe as long as there were loads of familiar faces. They would pull up in their white shiny cars and wade for a field of dirty kids, saying, Mr. Mr, are you really called the pigs? I'm sure there were some exceptions, but in the most part they showed no compassion, just citing the law, giving eviction orders and regulation answers in a familiar fashion. So when I moved into a house and we became sedentary, when I heard sirens, I still thought, shit, it's the police. But something happened and over time these fears subsided, because in a little Devon town I never saw the police and I didn't hear the sirens. Until one day I was old enough to get my own box on wheels, and I started to get a sense of remembering how it feels, because surprise surprise I started to see the police a little bit more often, stopping me occasionally for pretty much no reason, and just like before it seemed to happen more in the summer season. Well, I suppose this experience might have given me some advantage because some people, when they see the police and they hear the sirens, they get the urge to fight them because they know what the police are like. But I'll probably just cite the law, give them some regulation answers and just be polite and smile sweetly at least until they're out of sight. Out of sight. This is such a good one. (laughs) My mum had a, you know, just a normal... Mm-hmm. Oh, old, what is now considered old film camera and she used to take a lot of pictures mm-hmm. which is where we got some of these pictures from and your mum must have done as well because yeah so that actually ties into my mum's story so my mum went from Nottingham as um like a sort of goth punk in Nottingham to do photography at college I think in London East London and I think there was like um some sort of uh, like a music event, like a school disco almost type thing. And my dad was living in squats in East London. He grew up in East London. And he met my mum there at this dance. And um, they both ended up going on the road together. Um, I think they had a truck before they had me. And then they bought our bus for £500. And we were living in uh, in Oxfordshire in Great Chew. Um, uh, there was a lord there that let us stay on the land there. Didn't mind us staying there. 
Um, and we were there one year in 89 when I was born and I think it was the year later my friend Hopi we went back and she was born there I think it was the same midwife but we were born on our vehicles on site so um, very magical coming into the world I definitely feel that in my soul when I live my life it's a very nice way to be brought up you're born in your bus that you then lived in so um so did you guys live together much when you were kids you you know i kind of got the impression that you were like traveling together with diy sound system but i'm not really right about that no because obviously with diy they did so many different things they had club nights in nottingham and then they had the where they went over to san francisco so they weren't sort of traveling around like the travelers were and we were living on different sites but meeting up for maybe at parties and it, I think there's a photo of me and you on my fourth birthday where we're both on little I'm on my new bike and Jelly's on a little thing I've got a four badge on when we're like I think about four yeah oh, it's a four badge obviously <laughs> <laughs> so we would just meet up throughout life because we were travelers and that's what happens you know different kids from different places but yeah I don't because we're quite small I don't remember sort of before the age of maybe like three or four what we were, where we were, or what particularly we were doing. But I do remember living in Nottingham because that's the first time, or the only time that we lived in a house for a bit, me and my mum. So I remember living in the house there and I remember seeing Soma there and a couple of other kids. God, you remember that far back. Yeah, I remember having chicken pox when we were living in the house in in Nottingham. And I think that's when we spent a lot of time with the DIY as we got older, so DIY got quite big, I guess, and quite well known mm. unexpectedly. Yeah. So they would have been do- off doing more paid DJ gigs and stuff like yeah. that rather than free parties. But then they would come to the free parties in the morning. So it wouldn't be their rigs all the time that they were playing on mm. back then. So that so we probably would have hung out with them less as as the free parties yeah. were different sound systems doing more. Um, but we actually didn't see each other for years from like late teens to till my 30th birthday and you came to my 30th birthday party and that's how we reconnected and I'd always loved Jelly's um, poetry because there's a few performances she's done and um, people would post them on my poetry group on Facebook and so I just loved her style and that's why I asked I said please can you do it with me I didn't want to do it on my own (laughs) so have, what are your memories, like is there any particular memories you'd want to share about growing up as travellers or anything that you feel that, like it's kind of given you as an adult? I just have a strong feeling of belonging to something that's important and something that has meaning. Like a, it's like a real soul to it, like um, uh, morals and you're standing in the world, just knowing that you've come from something so amazing. Not just being a new age traveller, but also the rave scene as it was, because there were loads, loads of stories of football hooligans, um, like going to their first rave and then suddenly realising that, that violence wasn't the answer to things and just all of those sort of stories where new charities are made by people that come from traveling communities they've got so much to give and just having that belonging to something that I always have had huge respect for um I think I've always just felt like a sense of freedom how we've always been I think when we were younger given a lot more freedom like going to Glastonbury festival and just being told to have fun basically um and always knowing where your base is and knowing where your family is and you know at 
a festival like that when yeah. back in the 90s like the late 90s you the travelers still probably had a travelers field or even yeah. when they didn't there'd still be like a field of travelers so you know there was quite a big base to that- go to and always having like always having other kids on site i didn't have any brothers or sisters growing up but i felt like having that community just felt like i did have loads of brothers and sisters and it also felt like you had loads of mums as well because oh yeah so much extended family always be another mum around so yeah just having that feeling of a massive family basically um and the freedom to be independent and do what you wanted because you travelled so much I've got this feeling about Glastonbury and you know like the railway track from the naughty corner which is where Las Vegas used to be that's now Shangri-La that track and that naughty corner bit is the only continuous thing it's like going back to the village you grew up in for me when I go to Glastonbury that's the only standing that's been continuous throughout my life because I've moved around so much I haven't got like a hometown do you feel like that? I re- it's definitely a big part of when I was a kid. I remember we went for quite a few years in a row when I was a kid, and even one year, I remember everyone set off to go, and my mum wasn't going that year, and I was absolutely gutted because yeah, all my mates were going. And then one of her friends stopped on the way there and said, "Oh, I'll take Jelly if you want." And I was just oh, so oh, chuffed. Yeah, yeah. No, and I wouldn't... just went with with a mate instead. Because yeah. that'd be when you get to see all your brothers and sisters. Yeah. Because everyone would be there in that in that bit. Yeah. The, in that naughty corner as they say <laughs> and I remember saying that I wanted to be buried in the kids field when I died <laughs> <laughs> um, so I obviously had to, I obviously thought it was like the best big playground ever and what the other thing I wanted to ask you about your growing up if you don't mind is what was hard about it was there anything about it that you felt like as a traveller kid were there any times that you thought oh I wish I was doing something else yeah, like when I would go to normal kids' houses for like um, like food and stuff. I don't know. It was like just, it would be like, I don't know, not exotic. You'd be like, oh my God, I wish I had this big TV or toilet or whatever. <laughs> just little things that like, um, they would have like trampolines and things like that, which obviously you can't carry big trampolines around when you are travelling still. And the reaction you would get from children that weren't travellers sometimes was hard to deal with. My mum had huge, bright blonde dreads, and I was, you could, in my school photos, it is like spot the traveller kid. <laughs> like, you can just see us a mile off. So people would, yeah, I did get bullied at school. Uh, I don't remember ever getting any bad reactions from people at school, particularly. But I think I did go to nine primary schools, but we'd, I'd just go to a different one each time we move. I went to one twice, <laughs> two, two separate times. But um, we did tend to move in big groups, so there would all pretty much always be another person from site coming to the school with you. So I can't remember many schools where I was just going on my own, and I don't remember ever getting like bullied or anything because of it. Site kids. We were the site kids. Don't quite fit in, well that's life kids. Had more freedom than most kids. Didn't really relate to all those kids. We were the Lice Girls, like the Spice Girls, but with more nits, we were still nice girls. They were the Lost Boys, rest in peace to all the ones that we lost boys. And girls, taken too young and that's not right kids. Now we've got second, third, fourth generation sight kids. I've got the next generation right here. But there's not many sights left for this sight kid. We're parked up in the same place we lived when I was four, but there's no sight here. No sight kids playing out here anymore. 
All we really want is somewhere we can call our own, but without regulations so we can freely come and go. Yeah, it was in Nottingham, because I settled in Nottingham with my mum in a house for, for a while before I lived with my dad when I was nine. And when I moved to London, I went to school with like maybe six other traveller kids. Um, and so it was, that school was the best primary school I went to, but I was only there for the last six months. But again, like with Jelly, I moved to primary schools a lot. So Jelly, you have gone, like you both moved into houses when you became, what, teenagers? Or older. Oh, so I was like four, I think, when we started living in houses again. But okay. my dad was in Europe then, so I would live a bit with my dad mm-hmm. all the holidays and maybe a bit more because I didn't think school was the high priority with with travelling abroad was more important for, for my parents, for me. So my dad stopped living in a bus when I was nine. Um, for me... So we lived in a house in Nottingham for a short while... Um, when I was about four, I'm not sure how long for, less than a year, I think. We would, have both, moved. We would have both moved to Nottingham around the same, yeah. like, living in houses around the same time, yeah. except for my stayed in them for longer. Yeah, <laughs> and then we were back on the road until I was ten, I think, by which time we were in Totnes in Devon. I think my mum was just kind of fed up with being moved around, we didn't have a permanent place to live and we were just living on a sort of lay-by by a main road. One, fed up with having to move around. Two, wanted me to have a decent education and stay in one school. Mm-hmm. And three, was had just sort of had enough of it and fancied a change, I think. Yeah. So yeah, I was 10 when she moved into that house and um, she's still in the same house now that she moved into back then but as soon as we moved in I was saving to move back out again basically to buy a van when I was old enough and move back on the road. It did, it affected it. So have you ever gone back on the road so much or have you been in houses since then? I have been, yeah I've been in houses since I moved into squats with my dad Mm -hmm. when I was nine years old. But you obviously really feel, strongly feel that traveller identity completely. Yeah, I, yeah, I completely think of myself as a new age traveller. Yeah. That's what, how I was born yeah. into it. I didn't choose it. Yeah. But I was born into it and I'm so glad I was. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make a difference if I live in a house now. I still have the same mentality yeah, as that, everyone else that, that lives yeah. in a vehicle. So what made you guys decide to make this book? Since I was about 13 years old, I've wanted to publish my poetry. So, And I've just um, got to the point in my life where I felt confident enough with my poetry to be thought-provoking and happy it was very teenage angst when I was younger I'm glad it wasn't published now looking back at it and then meeting Jelly again properly getting to know each other again and just knowing that she's the perfect person to do it with because of the similarities in our timeline of our upbringing and the way that we feel about our childhood and the way that we were brought up um, melds really well together and then it's really important to a us as well because it's our friends that started Refugee Community Kitchen which is what the book was originally going to be funding for on its own and then as we were putting the book together me and Jelly working out which poems to put in and which pictures from our childhood that our family had and different artists and getting that all together Twigger and our friend Pete Wush from DIY uh, died on the same day so I spoke to Harry from DIY and asked if we could use the DIY logo for this poem that I wrote just after that happened, which was um, The Most Dangerous Family. Mm-hmm. 
the most dangerous family. Yes, this is our family. We do think free. You cannot put us in the standard societal box. Our creativity seeps into the fabric of normal society. We continue to stand tall, continue to get back up after a fall. We are the people that time will not forget. You try to pin problems on us and face hate towards us, but the rhythmic beats and love in between will keep drawing people onto our scene. You try to destroy our free mentality, but inside all of us is the strength and creativity of peaceful love and unity that we will continue to set free. And so then that was another project that we wanted to invest in, so another charity um, um, fundraising thing to put into. And then obviously with the new anti-trespass laws that are happening at the moment, which will affect Jelly directly, living yeah. on, mm-hmm. living nomadically still. Um, is another important input so it's moulded into something new from beginning of just wanting my poetry published and wanting to do it with her. (laughs) Um, Yeah I started writing poetry other people said that I used to have a like a little notebook that I'd write rhymes down in even when I was like on site as a kid Um, but I didn't start writing um, writing down any poetry really until I was about 21 I think but I think I was probably quite inspired by hip-hop and enjoy yeah enjoying like the wordplay of hip-hop and stuff like quite a lot of my poetry is quite like rhythmical and and then yeah I did start doing performing some of my poetry at festivals and stuff um over the years over the like the last 10 years house classics why did the line get lost because the jungle is massive but I didn't grow up with jungle and drum and bass I grew up with house classics So I have got the love, I am a dreamer, we are living in sweet harmony and we are just one family. So with all these positive musical messages, how could I not have grown up to be me? On my eighth birthday, my mum's friend Streaky gave me a hard house CD, but I didn't even know what a CD was. I was more interested in the blow up chair and the silver rings that I got. So with my mum taking me to festivals and free parties and my dad taking me to meditation and teaching me to sing in Bengali, how could I not have grown up to be me? So now I'm listening to hip-hop, gypsy, ragga, jungle, techno, my passion for these beats and lyrics never stops. No, it is never slowing. So I guess I will just keep on growing up to be me. It's such a lovely book. I mean, I've already gone on about how lovely it is, but I really love that all the lovely pictures that you put, you know, not only the photos, but the the artwork that's involved in it as well. I think it's got, it's a lovely way that it's a real a window into that lifestyle that you had when you were little. But I also really feel like throughout it there's like quite a theme of love really, like love being sort of something that's like a, a value that's part of your traveller upbringing and love is like a transformative force that's like really important. Yeah, it's just that's what sight life gives you is people helping other people and living with other people and creating families when the reason they might have ended up on sites is because they come from troubled families or they didn't feel comfortable being who they were in their hometowns or just living, moving from maybe quite well-to-do backgrounds and wanting to have that freedom. So everyone being accepting of everyone else. So the main part of that is love. And so love has really been a big force in my life, definitely. Let's talk a bit about the charities then that you're hoping to, well, that you are going to be supporting with the profits of the book. So you've got 
RCK. Spirit Wrestlers Foundation. And um, NF80s, which is No Fixed Abode Travellers, which is a, um, I guess it's sort of like a grassroots community organisation, which has come about in the last few years, sort of trying to give people information about new travellers, not just new travellers, we're NFATs are kind of, I don't know, in solidarity with all travellers and all no fixed abode people so it does cover anyone who is a no fixed abode traveller and it is just about fighting prejudices that people have and sort of promoting the fact that new travellers are travellers as well as other kinds of travellers we're not you know, we're not an ethnic minority but we do have a specific culture i would say and we obviously now that there are third and fourth generation people from that culture we do experience a lot of similar um, prejudices prejudices and lifestyle, I guess. So what about RTK? You said one of your friends was instrumental in setting that up. RTK is, by the way, if anyone doesn't know, which I hope you all do, <laughs> is Refugee Community Kitchen, and they have a big kitchen in Calais, in the jungle, where they cook hot, nutritious, good food for refugees and asylum seekers every day, all the time. Yeah. And they do absolutely amazing work. So it was set up, so one of the reasons that I know so much about it is it's a set up by friends of family, um, one of those friends being Steve Bedlam. And all of the people that set it up um, started off as a small thing in Calais because they couldn't just stand by and watch what was happening in the jungle. And so they started off there, but it has evolved to go to different places in Europe now. And they also do um, food for people in London and I think in Edinburgh as well. Um, so providing hot food for people in need. I think it's amazing that they're still there's still obviously a need, unfortunately, that they're trying to meet obviously they can't meet the entire need, but they're doing they've been working tirelessly for years and years now trying to get food to people who really need it. So yeah, yeah. seeing as that's been something that we're both aware of and I'd say set yeah, set up by people who are within our community, that's why we chose to try and make some money for them. We were saying earlier, weren't we, how quite often in these like social outreach projects there'll be a lot of travellers involved. It's quite, and you know, I know loads of people who've gone and worked out in Calais or in other places supporting refugees and asylum seekers. Yeah, I think a lot of travellers have that um, make-do sort of mentality, don't they? So when they are in situations like that, they're able to see the easiest, quickest, most um, productive route to getting the food to the people that need it and the clothes to the people that need it because we have that knowing how to survive on small amounts or knowing how to survive living in places which aren't normal living spaces and things like that. So we've definitely got a good background to take to um, a charity project like that, which has been amazing for what they've done it's it's grown and grown so it's really good and the festival um experience and you were mentioning earlier about people you know people travelers who've done a lot of festival stuff have experience with building an entire town yeah, yeah. building yeah amazing they, skills to bring or even doing like crew food for an yeah. area at a festival gives you the sort of skills you need to know to cook mass amounts of food and things like that there's so many life skills from the festival working and living on nomadic way to to take to um, a crisis situation like that 
and then the um, last but not least uh, the third charity that we are raising money for is the Spirit Restless Foundation um, which was set up in memory of Pete Wush so he was diagnosed with terminal cancer and he wanted to use holistic treatments um, and believes that there should be more um, provisions for a people that wish to heal naturally in the NHS so you can find out about that on their Facebook group as well and on our website um, thoughtsoffreedom.co.uk all of our charities are on there and you can find the links to their website so that you can find out more about what they do and if you want to get involved in volunteering or donating or just anything that you want to find out about them will be on there so and I will provide those links on the show notes as well so you'll be able to find them on our Facebook page well thanks so much for chatting with me today Jelly and Soma it's been so lovely to meet you both really inspiring women and just lovely to hear your memories of growing up as travellers and it's just so great that you've made this book supporting those charities and also just adding to that sort of wealth of positive sort of reflection of the traveller lifestyle which is at this time it's just more important than ever and I think we'll end with Soma reading her lovely poem, Born and Bred. Born and Bred. I love the way I was born and bred. New age traveller lifestyle. Brought up not to fit in a file. Taught to live alternatively. Free-spirited be. Be yourself and be free. My childhood home was our Bedford bus, our garden where we parked it up. Free parties, festies. We are the new generation and we come in peace. I have to say... Mum, Dad and my extended family. I hope people can see living couldn't have been any better. Sight life forever, whatever the weather. This coming weekend is the start of the Tory party conference in Manchester. Unsurprisingly, there are protests and demonstrations planned for the whole week. This Saturday, the 2nd of October, there will be another Drive to Survive rally held in the People's Assembly tent at 1pm and a horse drive action on the Sunday. It's so important that as many of us make it to this as we can, we need to show numbers and strength to the Tories and show that we will resist this bill and we will make it unenforceable. That we will not let them outlaw and eradicate nomadic life on this island. Check the D2S Drive to Survive social media for more information. Our next episode, Crossing Bridges, is a collaboration with one of our listeners, Zach, who got in touch a couple of months back to say he had an idea for an episode looking at differences within the traveller community. So we'll be chatting with two travellers from really different backgrounds and generations about their experiences. I'm really looking forward to doing this episode. Looking forward to chatting with both those people because they seem really fascinating folk. The music we've used for the poetry is by drum and bass artist Resilient, Marcos H. Belenos and Squire Tuck. Thanks as ever to J Terrestrial and Fire Pit Collective for the use of their song, I Choose the Road. A life in your pocket is a life behind bars But out here by my fire I can see all the stars So I choose the road not for me, a life for being born to be sold The green hills in the distance are calling me home Not for me, a life for being born to be sold Under the open sky 
I was chatting with a mate the other day and she said, I love your podcast, when are you putting out episode three? (laughs) Episode three, I said, there are five episodes so far. I hadn't shared the episode directly to her, so she didn't know. And what's the moral of this heartwarming tale? Subscribe, folks. Wherever you listen to the podcast, press subscribe and you will always hear when a new episode is coming out. Like and follow on the social media as well and you will double hear when a new episode is coming out. Go on, you know you want to.